welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like to use one, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures. Those have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put all the scriptures right on the screen right behind me just to make it as easy as possible for you. If you're watching us online at one of our other sites or one of our many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, I love you guys and I'm so glad that you are a part of our family. Well, uh, Happy New Year. I hope you had a great Christmas and I hope that you're looking forward to uh, a great new year. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm hoping and I'm praying for a breakthrough in 22. It's interesting that Pastor Barry gave the prayer teaching that he gave today. Him and I, we didn't compare notes, but I did a, a chapel this morning uh, before the, uh, the nine o'clock service, and that was literally the exact message that I gave to this group of guys. And um, it's this idea that as I, as I came into 22, I, I did some inventory. I like to start every year and kind of do an inventory on what my previous year was like. And, and so I, I think sometimes when you don't take the time to analyze the things that have happened, you, you dependent upon your personality. For me, I, I'm a person who I could tend to naturally be a glass half empty person. And so it was very easy for me to think, oh man, was it 2020, 2020. You ever people talk about 2021? Oh, 2021 is so, so bad. It's like the hardest year. I go, what? Were you alive in 2020? 2021 was a gleaming pearl in comparison to 2020. In 2020, they locked us in our houses with our kids and they didn't even let us out. They were just like, here, you just take and here's, by the end of that lockdown, I was eating glue and paste and play. It was like, are you kidding me? In 2021, they let me go to Walmart. Like I was allowed to do, I felt like I was able to do anything I wanted in 2021. I mean, there was, yeah, I was, there's stuff that was difficult, yes. But you know, when I sat down and it really kind of did an inventory, when's the last time you did an inventory on the things that have happened in your life. And as, as I looked back on 2021, I felt like there were so many amazing things that had happened inside 2021. And so as I began to contemplate, like, God, what do you have for me in 2022? I, I really felt like, like God dropped this word in my spirit last night. He said, 2022 is going to be whatever you expect it to be. If you expect it to be amazing, then it's going to be amazing. But if you expect it to be, oh, then it's going, it's going to be that. And at some point, we've got to put our faith and our trust in the fact that God wants greater things for us than we even 
want for ourselves. It says that he wants more than you can ever hope, wish, or even ask for. And so I am believing that 2022 is going to be a year of breakthrough for me and for you, for your health and your relationships, for your marriages and for your kids, for your jobs and for your relationships. But you know, a lot of times breakthrough is up to you. What are you going to do to get breakthrough? What are, what are you going to change? What are you going to start? And what are you going to stop? I, I told my wife, uh, Sunny, I, a few weeks ago, I said, uh, I really want to stop being so negative. Uh, I, like, I'm not always negative, but I'm definitely more negative than, than I want to be. I'm a super sarcastic person. I don't know if any of you are sarcastic. My wife hates it. She says that sarcasm is a form of abuse. And when she says that, I go, okay, whatever. You know, it's like, I just, I love sarcastic humor. I, I just, but sometimes when you're sarcastic, that can bleed into the negative. And, and sometimes if I'm, if I'm being honest, like, you know, it's 2022. So we, uh, it just rolled over. It's been uh, nine years since we've been here. And one of the things that, that, that kind of has been our calling card is that we, you know, we like to keep it real. We like to just be honest. I want to be the same cat up here that, that you would see at the grocery store. And so if, if I'm being totally honest with you, uh, one of my favorite things to do in life is make fun of people. I like to just see people and, and I like to you know, say dumb stuff about them. And you know, I like to make fun of their clothes. I like to make fun of, hey, the 80s called, they want their hair back. Like I'm just, I'm that guy. Like, cause I was a bully in high school. And so like, I still, I still, you know, I kind of lean in that direction. And you know, God has to help me. The Holy Spirit is weeding that out in, in my life. But for Christmas, uh, I asked for an extra special gift and my wife didn't get it for me. And I was so heartbroken. I don't ever ask for nothing. I don't, I don't have a list. I don't have a, you know, my daughter has a PowerPoint presentation. Like she's, and it's in real time. It's in Google Docs. So if she adds something, it comes right onto my phone. And so like, I, I have, generally I have nothing on my list, but like I, there's this one thing I really, really wanted it so bad. It's a pair of glasses that Ray-Ban makes. And the glasses have a camera on them. I texted my wife. I said, oh, baby, baby, could you give me these glasses? Because you can't, you can't even fathom the amount of pictures I miss because I'm trying to get my phone out. <laughs> by the time they walked by, I didn't have an opportunity to get a picture of their, <laughs> of their outfit. And so I was like, if I, if I could just do this, whatever. And then, like, sometimes, do you ever get your phone out? You try to get like. Am I the only person in here who takes pictures of people, but they're not looking? I was in the airport the other day. This old head walked up to me. I say he's an old head because he was my age. He walked up and he said to me, he said, hey, man. I said, what's up? Because you know, like, that's whatever, maybe. Let's just get into the Bible. Anyway, this, this, this guy, he said, hey, man. I said, what's up? He said, you just take my picture? I said, first of all, in my mind, I said, man, what do you think I'm taking your picture for? <laughs> what I said out loud, I said, no, sir. Because I wasn't taking his picture. I take a picture of the person behind him. <laughs> he just happened to get in the picture. No, he said, he said okay, cool, because, you know, these young kids, sometimes they be taking pictures, and they'll put them pictures up online. I said, hold up. I can put those pictures <laughs> Online, online, I can make a whole website of people. <laughs> and you know what God said to me? 
He said, you know why you make fun of people? Because you're insecure. No wonder what it is that you do in your life that's because of a deficiency that you got. You think that it's a problem. God thinks it's a deficiency. And if you would just offer it up to him, if you would just, if you would just keep it real. So I, I asked Pastor Shane, I said, I don't want to be negative in 2022. Not, not one time. I don't want to make fun of nobody. I don't want to look at their outfit. I, I just, I want to keep it clean. And I need you to hold me accountable. So my lady and I, we came up, we came up with a little code word that she's been using in times that I've been negative. Anytime I'm negative, she says, negative. <laughs> Isn't that so creative? <laughs> but it's slowly been working. And so now, now as, as I stop saying stuff, I stop thinking stuff. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so if I don't want to say it, I don't have to change my mouth. I have to change my heart. And so now when I see people, what I'm trying to do to keep myself from being negative is rather trying to pick out the things that are crazy about them. I try to pick out the things that are cool about them. I try to talk, ooh, that, that. And so now it's starting to shift the way that I look at things because here's what I know. I can't experience breakthrough in 22 until I break that in my life. And what is it for you? What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? What are you going to change so that you can get a breakthrough in 22? And here's something practical that you can do. You can start your year off by joining us on our yearly fast. We start off our year every year with a 21-day fast. It's just 21 days where you deprive yourself of something. And and when you have an urge to partake in that thing, you just say a little prayer for you or for someone else. I'm doing what's called a Daniel fast. It's from the book of Daniel. You only eat what's from the ground. Basically, it's no meat, no dairy, no sugar, no fun. Anyway, you can fast whatever you want to. You can fast meat, sugar, coffee, social media, TV, the news, alcohol, tobacco, anything that's difficult. I had a guy come up to me a few years ago. He said, hey, I just want you to know what I'm fasting. I'm fasting drugs. I'm fasting alcohol. I'm fasting gambling and I'm fasting pornography. I said, well, bro, I hope you do that longer than 21 days. None of that is stuff that you're supposed to be doing ever. And so for 21 days, he, he did it and he was awesome. And so I hopefully whatever it is that is difficult for you, anything that you'll crave that when you don't have, you'll be reminded to pray when those uh, cravings hit. Anyway, we decided to start ours a little later this year. It actually starts tomorrow. So if you started two days ago, <laughs> it's this one is January 3rd through 24th, 21 days of fasting for breakthrough. We're going to call it 21 for 22. Incidentally, you know uh, what helps you push for breakthrough is remembering what you've already broken through. And so I want to talk about that today with a message we're calling, I am forgiven. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for being you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks, you know, for keeping your hand on our lives, even when we don't deserve it. Thanks for going before us, going behind us and being with us. God, thanks that today it is your heart and it is your desire that we get closer to you and you haven't moved. So God, today, I pray that my friends would be encouraged, that they would be drawn unto you so that when we leave here, they'll be less like them and more like you in Jesus' name, amen. As I went through this beautiful book of Ephesians that we've been in, I got to this one, I thought, hmm, I am forgiven. I love this one because there is power in forgiveness. Have you ever done something that you shouldn't have and, and, and you've been forgiven for it? Doesn't that feel so good? Isn't it a such a feeling 
of relief. Like, like, have you ever done something and you knew that you got caught and you knew that it was imminent, you knew that it was ominous, and then that person, they just let you off with it? Doesn't that just feel like sweet relief? Like, we wanted to teach our kids about forgiveness when they were real young, and so uh, we, we taught them that when someone, apologized, uh, when someone apologized to them, rather than saying, it's okay, we taught them to say, I forgive you. First of all, because it's not okay when someone does something wrong to you. And secondly, because we wanted them to get used to telling people that they're forgiven, that they forgive them. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this beautiful letter, he, he knew that principle so well. He, he had this deep passion for people to feel the freedom that forgiveness brings. And the reason for that is because he'd been forgiven for so much. You know, people who've received give, forgiveness and recognize it for the gift that it truly is, they want other people to feel the freedom that forgiveness brings. And so Paul writes these words. He says, stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others who are in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own. He's guaranteed that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil, evil behavior. Instead, be kind, be tenderhearted to each other, forgive each other, hmm. forgive each other, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. I wonder if when Paul wrote those words, he thought back on an encounter that he'd had with a guy named Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr for Jesus. We read his story in the book of Acts. I talked about it in depth in a series we did last year called Defining the Church. You can watch it on any of our platforms. And I'm biased, but I think it's interesting. It's like a graduate level course on, on the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, it tells the story of Stephen. And it says that while they were stoning Stephen, and, and I wish that I had more time to describe stoning to you, but stoning was, uh, was intense. They, they would take a person and, and they would put them either at the bottom of a cliff or they would dig a hole just big enough for them to be in. And then whoever it was that brought an accusation against that person, they took the first stone and they threw that stone down on top of that person in a place that the person who had been accused couldn't escape. And it wasn't like little tennis ball sized rocks. It was like, the, and the first person that threw a rock, he, he, threw, he threw the biggest rock. And usually the person died in stoning on the first stone. It's why it's important when Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus was implying, go ahead, because you know you're going to kill him. And so the person who cast the first stone, they take the biggest stone that they had, and they would heave it inside of this hole, and it would fall down on top of this person. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that while they were stoning Stephen, Stephen said these words, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And with that, he died. I mean, come on, man. Stephen forgave Paul for murdering him while Paul was murdering him. 
And this was a catalyst to Paul receiving Jesus, being the first person to bring Jesus to non-Jewish people, writing half the New Testament, and literally changing the world. And none of that would have been possible without Stephen's extension of forgiveness. You know, we often underestimate the power of forgiveness. Have you ever considered how sinful you are? Imagine if, if you went next door to the Walmart and you got your little school notebook, college ruled notebook, and, and you just wrote down every wrong thing you've ever done. If you, if you wrote down everything you should have done, but you didn't, including every person you should have helped, every injustice you should have fought, and every dollar that you should have given to help others. Add, add to that list all the sinful thoughts you've had, every sinful word you've communicated, and every sinful motive that's compelled you to do anything bad that you've ever done. How many notebooks would you need to fill if you put every one of those things on a list? Y'all, we are sinful. And our sin, the Bible says, is an assault. It's it's an attack on God. In fact, theologian R.C. Sproul said, every sin is an act of cosmic treason. It is a futile attempt to dethrone God of his sovereign authority. And yet, God forgives over and over and over again. And so should you. And I know it's hard. I mean, I know it's hard, but the Bible says we only have two possible responses when it comes to those who've sinned against us. We have forgiveness or we have bitterness. And like weeds, the Bible tells us bitterness has roots. So when others sin against us, we can either whack away at the surface, we can try to get rid of our frustrations, our disappointments, our angers, our hurts, our sadness, or we can pull up our bitterness before it takes root. If you don't pull up the root of bitterness, it's always going to return. And every time it comes back, it will be bigger and the roots will go deeper. Now, the challenge is, as a general rule... Bitter people have reason to be angry. They've been sinned against. They've been done dirty. You know, bitterness is often related to how much you love the offender. The deeper the love, the deeper the pain. The deeper the pain, the deeper the root of bitterness. So in dealing with our potential bitterness, Paul encourages us to stop lying to speak the truth. But to do that, we have to be honest about some of our most painful memories. We, we have to ask soul-searching questions and get beyond simple cliches where people ask us how we are and we just say, I'm fine. Because for many of you, you're not. It's not true. It's not, you're not fine. It's one of the big reasons why we do Journey to Wholeness, which I'm going to talk at the end about some things that we're really going to lean into in 2022, and journey to wholeness is one of those things. This idea that if we do not get to the core of what it is that has offended us, if we don't get to the core of that thing that's holding us back, all life will be is window service. We've got to get inside and dig and do the hard work. And Paul was clear, if bitterness is in exchange for forgiveness, it escalates and becomes increasingly devastating to both you and to everyone around you. He went so far as to list a pattern that sprouts from bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, malice. Have those things ever sprouted from you? So bitterness, it has to be uprooted before it spreads. But how? Well, before I tell you that, let me dispel one pretty common 
theory. So many people over the years have told me and people who are like me who struggle with bitterness that we just shouldn't get angry about the things that we've suffered, which, which then just makes us angry. Because this idea of just not getting angry is both unhelpful and unbiblical. Like, have you read the Old Testament? God gets angry. Jesus got angry several times. It's why Paul didn't say, don't get angry. Instead, he said, be angry, but don't sin. He, he understood and he accepted that anger is a legitimate emotional response to being sinned against. But he also warned us about its effects. He told us to be careful not to accept or to empower anger that comes from sin. He encourages us to urgently deal with our anger, to not wait a single day to address it, to not let the sun go down on our anger. Otherwise, it'll consume us. And we hear that in our inner sense of justice. It pushes back against that. It, it makes us feel like forgiving someone who hasn't apologized, changed, or made amends is the equivalent of us excusing or even condoning evil. And so we keep track. We keep score. How do I know that? Because I've done it myself many, many times. And in those moments, I find myself able to recall intricate details of exact circumstances surrounding the sins that contributed to my hurt and my anger. I can remember where I was. I, I can remember exactly what was said, what the, the smell of the air was. I can remember what the offender was wearing. I can remember the tone of their voice, the, the expression on their face. When, when it comes to those experiences, my memory is razor sharp because I have recounted those events over and over in my mind, digging up the past so that I can emotionally relive them in the present. But on the flip side, it's amazing how conveniently I've been able to forget the details of when I've sinned against someone else. To the point that when I'm confronted, I find myself saying things like, well, I didn't say that, or oh, I don't remember saying that, or that, that, that's, that's not how I remember it, or, or, or well, that's, that's not what I, I meant. And, but then that person can pull up out of the catalog of their mind the intricate details of the offense that I Put against them. We have to recognize forgiveness for what it is. We have to realize forgiveness isn't about them. And quite frankly, forgiveness isn't even about us. It's all about Jesus. Because forgiveness is actually an act of worship where we release it to him and trust that he'll return it to us. But in the end, we can't receive it from God if we don't release it to others, which again, is really, really hard until you understand what forgiveness is. So let me tell you seven things forgiveness is and seven things forgiveness is not. Seven things forgiveness is and seven things forgiveness is not. I got seven minutes to tell you seven things forgiveness is and seven things forgiveness is not. So here's number one. Forgiveness is not denying that the sin occurred or diminishing its evil. In the process of forgiveness, we do not need to say nothing happened. Or, or, or we don't need to say that what happened was no big deal, because it was. Instead, we should say sin happened. And that sin was such a big deal that Jesus died for it. The sin that was propagated against you was so significant that he gave his life. Number two, 
Forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness is not, is not enablement. We, we can forgive while still being truthful about somebody's behavior. We, we can forgive someone and still hold them accountable. Number three, forgiveness is not necessarily a response to an apology. Here's what I'm saying. True forgiveness doesn't even require an apology. We're supposed to forgive whether there's an admission of guilt or not. And Christianity is unique in this. The, most other religions in the world teach that you can't even give someone forgiveness who hasn't apologized. Think of the burden that that puts around you. Number four, forgiveness is not covering up sin that's been committed against you. In fact, at times there's been a crime that has been committed against you. And, and you can have a crime have been committed against you and still simultaneously forgive someone and seek legal action. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. And I know that we've all heard this idea that we should forgive and forget. But unless you're God, that's impossible. But when we forgive someone, we're remembering the sin so we can forgive the sin. But to demand that somebody completely forgive without remembering that they were hurt, betrayed, or abused is to, is to demand the impossible and is to add burden to their heart. Number six, forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness only takes a moment, but trust is built over time. And once trust is lost through sin, it can take a really long time, sometimes a lifetime, for that trust to be rebuilt. Number seven, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It takes one sinner to repent and one victim to forgive, but it takes both to reconcile. And here's the deal. You, you may not be ready to reconcile yet, and that's fine because forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things, okay? So now that we know what forgiveness is not, Here's seven things that forgiveness is. Beyond being both a decision and a process, number one, forgiveness is canceling a debt that is owed to you. When someone sins against you, a wrong is committed and a debt is accrued. When you extend forgiveness, you are relinquishing your right to make that person repay the debt. Number two, forgiveness is removing the control that your offender has over you. As long as your offender remains unforgiven, they continue to loom large in your life by maintaining an emotional presence. When you release forgiveness to them, you are freeing yourself from that person emotionally and the damage that, that you're allowing them to have over your heart. Number three, forgiveness is giving a gift to yourself. I mean, there's a myriad of studies that have told us that forgiveness provides lots of physical benefits. It reduced anxiety, reduced stress, it lowers your blood pressure. Also, there are the mental benefits of no longer obsessing over a person or an act that frees you up to move on with your life. Some of you are stuck in 1977. Forgiveness allows you to move from a life that's centered on pain and and. Move on to one that's centered on God, that's, that's centered on others as you regain emotional health, empathy, and perspective. Number four, forgiveness is foregoing revenge. Mm. The book of Romans says, don't avenge yourselves, beloved. When we seek revenge, we, we lower ourselves and place ourselves morally alongside our offenders. 
But when we forgive, we rise above them. Revenge may feel good in the moment, but it can never undo a wrong. In fact, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, he who seeks revenge should dig two graves. Number five, forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. Sometimes forgiveness is difficult because it violates this this sense of fairness. (laughs) But the Bible promises that God will deal with everyone's sin justly. It's like having a big brother who's never lost the fight. I wish I had more time to tell you about my seventh grade PE teacher, Mr. Ashworth. Mr. Ashworth was a he was that, and he, uh, he, in seventh grade, he, he pulled me down off the seat, grabbed me by my arm, and he yanked me off the stage, and I fell, and I hurt myself. And everybody in the class, ha, 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 Mr. Ashworth, kicked your, and it's, uh, my, so I went home, and I got a brother named Kevin. And my brother Kevin, man, he could fight. Like, he was, he was a brawler. He, he, I'd never, there was nobody who had ever whipped my brother Kevin. And when I went home, and I, I told my mom about what happened at school and my brother Kevin was in the other room and, and as quick as I was done telling the story, my brother walked straight out the front door. Just, he didn't say nothing to me, just went, he went straight to the school. He went right to the teacher's parking lot. Let me just say this, to spare the details, Mr. Ashworth did never put his hands on little brother again. And that God is just like, bro, you think I'm just gonna let somebody play you like a sucker like this? Like you're my son or you're my... You're my daughter. And the end of that verse we just read in Romans says, leave room for God's wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That that verse is dope unless you're the one getting repaid to. Number six, forgiveness is an ongoing process. See, in Jesus' time, there was a rabbinic teaching that said you only had to forgive someone three times. And once you've forgiven them three times, you never had to forgive that person again. And so in the gospel of Matthew, we read, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I still forgive them up to seven times. Peter felt like he's being very generous. He was doing more than double what he had been taught. But Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. It was like a number that would have blown their mind. One noted Bible commentary said this was Jesus' way of saying that forgiveness is meant to be unlimited. Finally, number seven, and this is the hardest, which is why forgiveness is an ongoing process. Number seven, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. Mm. I wish that one wasn't even in there. When we, when we forgive our offenders, we make a shift and we move from wanting to see them suffer and pay to wanting to see them repent and change. God, that's so hard. And so I've started having to speak that over myself. I've started to say to myself, I'm forgiven, so I will forgive. I'm forgiven, so I will forgive. And you know, most of the time when I say it, I don't believe it. And so I keep telling myself, I am forgiven, so I will forgive. I am forgiven, so I will forgive. I am forgiven, so I will forgive. See, the Proverbs tell us that the power of life and death are in the tongue. So I will speak over myself. I am forgiven, so I will forgive. I am forgiven, so I will forgive. I am forgiven, so I will forgive. You are forgiven. Will you forgive? I hope so, because forgiveness not only unlocks your future, it unlocks your eternity.
Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know, the process in the church that we call salvation, all it is is just extending and receiving forgiveness. It's extending forgiveness of yourself and receiving forgiveness from Jesus. You know, receiving Jesus is a really big act of humility. It's admitting that you're a filthy, foul, sinful person and admitting that you can't change it on your own. I wonder if you're here today and you'd say, Sean, uh, I have things in my life that I've never apologized for. I've, I've never repented. I've never asked Jesus to have a personal relationship with me, but I want to do that today. You know, the Bible says that to be saved, if you would, to spend eternity in heaven, you really just have to do two things. You have to confess and you have to profess. You have to confess that you are filled with sin and you have to profess the fact that you believe that Jesus can change that. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around in just a moment, I'm going to ask for people who need to confess that they have sin in their life to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand back down. And then I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me along with everyone else in this place. And if you pray that prayer and you believe it in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I've got sin in my life that has gone unrepentant and I'd like to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand and make God contact with me? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, thanks, thank you, thank you, thanks, thank you. Well, this side, thanks, thanks, thank you, thank you. Did I miss anybody? Thank you. Okay, I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat these words. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. Please get rid of it. Forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you pray that prayer, we love you and we're so grateful that you're a part of our family. And we would love the opportunity to walk alongside you and help you go from where you are to where you're supposed to be, which is more like Jesus. So if you would do us a favor, you need to take the card that's in the seat back in front of you, tear off the bottom part, fill in whatever information you're okay with us having, check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Put in the black buckets when they come around at the end in just a moment. Or you can scan the QR code on the back of your seat or on the screen That'll give us your information. We just want the ability to follow up with you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm saved. I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. But there's somebody in my life who I have not forgiven who I need to. If that's you, can I pray for you? If that's you, would you raise your hand if you've got somebody in your life who you need to forgive? God, for my friends in this place who need to extend forgiveness, I pray that you'd give them mercy, that you'd give them grace, that you'd help them be the people that you've called them to be. Unlock that in their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.